The word of the Lord says this. And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul who name, whose name was Ziba. And they, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. You guys can have a seat. Here we are in the middle of 2 Samuel chapter 9. The story of Mephibosheth. I was tempted to label the message this morning, You Are Mephibosheth. But instead, I chose the title, The Kindness of the King. The Kindness of the King. I'll give away the punchline already. You and I are Mephibosheth. We are not David. We are not Jonathan. We are not Saul in this passage. We are not Ziba in this passage. We are Mephibosheth in this passage. We've labeled this series the life of David, and we're looking at what does it look like for us to be a people of God after the heart of God. I believe one of the things that must happen in all of our hearts this morning is that we must understand the kindness of God. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. You see the word kindness throughout this passage. David comes and he says, is there anyone in the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? It's the backdrop and background to this passage. We know we uh, last week we just looked at David coming back into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and he's worshiping God. And so he's wanting to establish his kingdom, God's kingdom, through the presence of God. And most scholars say here in this passage that um, David has been on the throne reigning for a little over 10 to 15 years. And everything in the kingdom at this point is going great. He had just conquered in chapter 8. There's been many victories that David had won. And so he's in this moment of peace in the kingdom. And out of the blue, David asks the question, Who shall I show kindness to? That word in your Bibles highlight that word. The word is in the Hebrew. The word is ased, H-E-S-E-D. It's almost the same word throughout the entire New Testament. It's the form of love or the form of grace. The working definition that we'll go with kindness this morning or hased this morning is this. I want you to pay close attention to this. The constant, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavishing, extravagant, unrestrained, 
furious love of God our Father on us. And so that's the word we're looking at. This word has said the kindness of the king. Now we get to this passage and it begs the question, what does David want to show kindness to Mephibosheth for? What does David want to show kindness to Jonathan's heir for? Remember back in 1 Samuel, David is holding to a promise he made with Jonathan in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Remember, they had this moment in the field and David and Jonathan, they embraced each other, they kissed each other, and they make this covenant with each other. And, and David makes the promise, I will never let anything happen to you or any of your family. Your lineages will continue. Now, if you remember where David made that promise, he was in the field. And how often is it to make a promise when we're in desperate places. But now I want you to see the king's heart. He has it all. But he remembered back to a promise. And so here David is and he says this, I need to show kindness to the house of Jonathan. So the first thing, the first point this morning is this. I know I have some subpoints. The kindness of the king reaches out to the lost. The kindness of the king reaches out to the lost. We see that in this passage. David, there, there's no idea where Mephibosheth is. And he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? The house of Saul is gone. It's lost. Re remember back at the end of 1 Samuel that Jonathan and King Saul had been killed. But we see in a passage in 1 Samuel, there, there was some remnant of the house of Saul that Jonathan had a child. He was nowhere to be found. There was no relationship that David had with Mephibosheth. Because if he had had a relationship, then he wouldn't have had to ask the question, where or is there anyone for me to show kindness to? first point what's under that point is this the king's kindness reaches out to Mephibosheth because of David not because of Mephibosheth you, you remember he says that I is there anyone left in the house of Saul that who that I may show him kindness and so David is doing this because he's remembered his promise that he made to Jonathan years and years and years ago. It had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. The second point is this. The kindness of the king reaches out to those who are lost first because of who he is and then for the sake of another. Who can I show kindness to for whose sake? Jonathan's sake. He's going back to the promise. Now I want to say this before we move on to the next point. Remember, you are Mephibosheth and you are lost. 
who do not know Christ Jesus. Remember, Mephibosheth is not looking for King David. I'm going to get that that in a moment. Mephibosheth is not seeking out the king. Mephibosheth doesn't even know of the promises that King uh, that King David had made with Jonathan years ago. Because if he had remembered the promise, don't you think this man would have shown up knocking at the door? Hey, you remember that promise? Because we're going to see in a moment where Mephibosheth is at. He's not acting like the grandson of a king. Remember, Mephibosheth is Jonathan's heir, who Jonathan was heir to where? The throne. So Mephibosheth was not seeking after the king. Romans tells us this. There's nothing in us that the king would seek after. The writer steals it from Isaiah. He says, no, there's not one righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. You see, Mephibosheth did not understand the king, and nor do you or I. But yet the promise is this, that God always seeks the lost. And it's not because of you, but it's because of him. For the sake of another. You know who the other is? His son Jesus. God seeks you not because of you, but because of the promise he made to who? Jesus. The God said to Jesus, I'll make you a king. Well, do you know what you need if you have to be the king? You need people around you in a kingdom. And so God is seeking you because of Christ, because of the promise he didn't make on you, but because of the promise he made on Christ Jesus. See, the salvation thing isn't about you or me, but it's about the king, Jesus. We see that in this passage. In the last point, he reaches out to us with kindness in spite of us. How do we know that? It says this. The next point is this. The kindness of the king welcomes the enemy. Pick up in the verse. He goes in the verse two and he says, Now was there a ser- now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called to him David. And the king said to you, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still anyone in the house of Saul? We could say the house of the enemy. Remember, Saul had been pursuing David his whole life once he became uh, promised to be the king. Saul wanted to kill him. And so in ancient Middle Eastern times, when a king was claimed the new throne, every other person outside of that that used to be the king, everyone in that kingdom is now the enemy of the new king. 
So Ziba was an enemy of the king, and the person that David is looking for is essentially the enemy of the king. Because here's the truth. In England, the monarchy stands. When Queen Elizabeth dies, who's going to take her place as the king? And then if he dies, who takes the place of the king? That little baby that just was born. That's the grandson of the queen. And so you got to remember that. That this is the enemy of the king. And yet, what does the king want to show his enemy? Kindness. But for whose sake? In this part of the passage. Let's read it. Verse 3. And the king said, Is there still not someone in the house of Saul, the house of the enemy, that I may show the kindness of who now? Remember he had said that I may show kindness to, but now he says that I may show the kindness of who to? God. So the kindness of God does some things for us. And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's a crippled, or he is crippled in his feet. Underline that in your Bible. I'm going to come back to that. Look how Ziba refers to Mephibosheth. He doesn't give him a name. He shows him his disability. He shows him his weakness. He shows him that, man, you don't want this guy. This isn't who you're looking for. This isn't who you need. He's got no threat to you is what Ziba is saying. You've got no need for him. Remember, we are Mephibosheth. We are crippled. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Underline that word in your Bible, Lodabar. Do you know what the word Lodabar means? A desolate place with no vegetation. The desert. Sound familiar to any of you? You are from Lodabar. God doesn't choose you because you live lavishly. He chose you because you lived in Lodabar. You live in the desert. You had nothing. You have nothing to offer. You are crippled in the desert. And yet he says, no, no, I get it. He's a cripple and I get that he's in the desert with nothing and he's got nothing to offer me. And then the king said this and sent him and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And then Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face to pay homage to the king. You see, the kindness of God welcomes the enemy of God, but the kindness of God, the kindness of the king, takes away all of our fear. Now our response ought to be like Mephibosheth when we come in to the presence of God. We must and we ought to fall on our face out of great fear for God. 
I just wonder when we come into the presence of God that we fall on our face out of fear. What what if Mephibosheth's response that day were, yeah, it's about time. What you been waiting for, man? I've been sitting in the desert. Like, you're my king. Like, why didn't you come get me earlier? But I think Mephibosheth fell on his face because he was terrified of what was about to happen because you know Mephibosheth would have known hey the next king they're probably going to hunt me down and they're probably going to want to kill me because I'm an enemy and so he gets beckoned into the palace he gets beckoned into the throne room of the king and he falls down and he's totally afraid how do we know that because David said he calls out his name I love that you see, everyone else in the passage had referred to Mephibosheth as the cripple boy from Lodabar. But how's the king see him? The king always calls us by name. Let me say that again. The king knows you by your name, not by your weakness or your disability or what you have or what you don't have. He knows you by your name. Oh, he sees Mephibosheth fall right at his feet, and then he says, Oh, Mephibosheth! You see the exclamation point? He's not whispering. He's giving value to the boy with no legs. You see, everyone else had labeled him. But the king saw something in Mephibosheth. He saw beyond something. But he says to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth answers, I am your servant. And then David said to him, Do not be afraid. Think of all the stories throughout the Bible when people come into the presence of angelic beings or heaven itself. Where do they go? They fall right to their face. It says this in Matthew. It says the angels showed up and the shepherds were terrified. Remember in the wilderness with Moses with the burning bush, he was terrified. But you see, the kindness of the king does something to our terror. There is no fear in the presence of the king because of the promise he's made to Jesus. Let me say that again. There is no fear in the presence of the king because of the promise the king has made with his son Jesus. You know what that promise was? To absorb the wrath that ought to lead us to fear. Do you get, I mean, uh, where God has me in this season of my life about the kindness and the goodness of God is blowing my heart out. Like the kindness of God, he tells us in Isaiah 55, the kindness of God was that we would beat his son so senselessly he would no longer look with him like a man so that you and I would not have to absorb that beating and then some. And you got to remember, I've got to remember, I'm an enemy of the king. Romans tells us that. Romans 5, 8. While you were yet sinners, while you were yet enemies of God, he put Jesus, the promise, on the cross for you and me. You were an enemy of God. There was no point prior to your salvation that you were seeking him to be his friend. You were an enemy. 
Your heart is distinctly wicked above all things. There's no good in man at all. No one seeks God. So the kindness of the king welcomes the enemy. The kindness of the king allows us not to be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Mr. Bishel, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he pays homage and said, what is this servant that you would show regard or kindness for a dead dog such as I? You see, Mephibosheth still didn't get it. Remember when he said, hey, hey, Mephibosheth, it's okay. You're in my presence now. Hey, Mephibosheth, you have a name. You're not the cripple boy. You know, Mephibosheth had been crippled since he was five years old. His nanny dropped him. They were trying to escape, and the nanny dropped him, and because of the drop, he was crippled the rest of his life. And so I, I imagine everywhere that Mephibosheth went, he was teased or made fun of, and he was labeled because of what had happened to him. And so he began to believe that identity of what had happened to him, but he does not now embrace the new identity that the king gives him. You see, that's what the kindness of the king does. The kindness of the king shows us there's no shame in our weakness. Hey, I just said it a few moments ago. The king doesn't say, hey, crippled boy. He says, hey, Mephibosheth. You see, when we come in the presence of the king, the king never says to us, hey, addict. Hey, spender. Hey, adulterer. Hey, you would fill in the blank with whatever sin you struggle with. He doesn't label us by our sin, but he labels us by the name that he gave to us. The king never puts labels on us but one, righteous and holy. When we surrender our will and our life to Him, all that you have done has been replaced with His righteousness and goodness. And yet I wonder, believer in here, how come we still label ourselves of where we come from and not who we currently are? I know we struggle with sin. I'm not saying, oh, you come to Jesus and all your struggles are done away with, but your sin no longer defines you, but your new adoption is what defines you. The kindness of the king welcomes the enemy. The kindness of the king shows us we don't need to be afraid. The kindness of the king removes all of our shame. And what else does it do? The kindness of the king provides for the weak. Remember, he labels himself as a dead dog. 
And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul, which really belonged to David now, there was no belonging to Saul. When David became king, all that belonged to Saul now became the king's. And so the king is not saying, hey, there's this stuff over here that's been in waiting for you. Hey, that stuff over there that's mine, he's about to do something with it. He's about to provide it. All that belongs to Saul and all of his house, I give to you. You, you see, the kindness of the king provides for the weak. Mephibosheth had no shot. You see, back in the day, crippled had no shot. That he was never going to provide for himself. He couldn't even walk. Everything that Mephibosheth did, he needed the help of another person for it to happen. And then David says, hey, now all that stuff over there, I'm about to give to you. No, you didn't work for it. No, you didn't earn it. No, you don't even deserve it. But I'm going to give it to you. It ought to sound familiar, church. Remember, you and I are Mephibosheth. There's nothing that we did to deserve it, work for it, earn it, or keep it. And then he says to Ziba in front of Mephibosheth, and Ziba, you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring the produce that your servant's grandson may have bread to eat. You see, the kindness of the king provides even through others. You see, okay, great, you gave all that stuff to Mephibosheth. He still can't go till the land and he can't go hire people to till the land. So the king said, I know all that and I'm going to give you the land and I'm going to give you workers for the land. Sound familiar? It's called the church in the New Testament. But Mephibosheth, your servant's grandson, shall always eat when? No, 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 that doesn't say the table. It doesn't say the table. My table. You see, we, we go and we say, oh, he's always going to eat at the table. No, no, he's always going to eat. There's the table. You know, you remember Thanksgiving. There's the big boy table and then the kid table around the corner. Like we come to the pastor and think Mephibosheth was around the corner at the table. No, 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 he was at the king's table. You see, when you get the kindness of the king, you're welcome at the table. You, you see... Because of the kindness of the king, we get to eat at his table. It's called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper. You see, we don't do the Lord's Supper because it's something we do. We do the Lord's Supper because it's something we're invited into. Do you hear me, church? The king has invited you to his table to eat of his goodness and his body. That's why the Lord's Supper is so important. So highlight that little word in your Bible. He'll always eat at my table. Not the table. Not a table. My table. I wonder what Mephibosheth was thinking at that moment. What? And Ziba and the 15 sons and 20 servants. Man, that'd be a heck of a working crew. 
according to all that my Lord, the king, commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. The next line, not like Mephibosheth, not like the crippled, not like Jonathan's son, not like the man from Lodabar that had no food. He ate how at the king's table? Hello, church. Read in your Bibles with me out loud. Like one of the king's own sons. You see, when we get invited to the table because of the kindness of God, we don't just come to the table like a servant. We come to the table like a prince or a princess. You, You see, back in the day, in this day and age, When the table was set and the king came to the table, the king may have sat down, but the king didn't start eating till all the sons and daughters came to the table to eat. He waited for them to eat. God's in no rush. He'll wait for you to show up at his table that he's invited you to because you're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're not defined by who you used to be. You're defined by who the king has made you to be. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this. You were adopted into his family. You are now a son, a daughter of the king because of his kindness. So the kindness of the king gives undeserved riches. That's the table. He did not deserve anything at the table. At best, he deserves the scraps from the table. At the very, very best, he deserved to die because he was an enemy of the king. But at that moment in the throne room, as he paid homage to the king, the king said, you're you're no longer Mephibosheth, the son and grandson of Saul. You are now my son, and you're welcome to everything into this kingdom. All of it's yours. So church, I beg the question, what do we settle for scraps for? So we ate at the king's table every day. And then it says this. The king's kindness always gives unconditional favor. How do we see that? And Mephibosheth had a young son. You know where that young son also ate? At the table. That's unconditional favor. That boy, Mephibosheth, didn't deserve it, and for sure his son didn't deserve it. And the last thing that we see is this. God's kindness or the king's kindness gives unending security. So Mephibosheth lived where? Which was where? The king's palace was in Jerusalem. He lived with 
the king always. For he ate always at the king's table, even though he was lame in both of his feet. You see, even after coming to the table, even after partaking at the table, even after all the favor, he needed still ongoing security. That's the lame part of his feet. Lame people can't protect themselves. And think about it for a moment. Mephibosheth had spent the, most of his life from age 5 to this moment, he's probably 25 years old, 20, 25 years in the desert with no enemies. And now all of a sudden his identity changes, everything changes for him. Do you not think those people in the desert are going to come hunting for his life to rob and steal and kill from him? So he's going to need ongoing security. Sound familiar? Though the king rescues us, he doesn't leave us up to defend ourselves. He continues to be our great defender. Amen? He says it this way in John. I give them eternal life. And because I give it to them, they will never perish. That's called ongoing security. For no one will snatch them out of my hand because of the security I give to them. You see, that's all about the kindness of the king. Let me read the definition as we close this morning. Kindness of the king. The constant, consistent, ever faithful, relentless, pursuing, lavishing, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God. That's the kindness of God on your life and my life. Remember, church, we are Mephibosheth. And yet, God's kindness always pursues us. Let us pray. You are a kind God. God, you reach out to us who are lost. God, you welcome us as the enemy at your table to eat and partake and no longer be your enemy, but be your sons and your daughters. And God, you always provide for us. Your riches are ours. You tell us that in your scriptures. All that is ours, you give to us. Your kindness gives us favor and Your kindness holds us fast. So God, I beg You through the work of only Your Holy Spirit that in this moment, God, we would be awakened to Your kindness to us. Because while we were yet sinners, You died for us. When we did not seek You, You sought us. Tell us in your word, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, 
so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. That's the kindness that we do not deserve that you freely give to us. God, if there's anyone in here that does not know you as the kind God, as the good God, that today you would show them your kindness and draw them to yourself. That if they're still in Lodabar, the land, the desolate land, and that they're still that cripple God, that you would say to them, oh, no, 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 Mephibosheth, come and eat. Come and be at my table. You're a good God. You're a kind God. You pursued. You lavished. And you're relentless. God, may we receive the New Testament calls it the grace of God. The unmerited gift freely given to us. Let's pray.